And good evening. My wife is not with me tonight, which is not unusual. She doesn't do nighttime stuff very well anymore. She likes to be home, and that's okay. But uh, she also, uh, well, she broke a tooth. Um, the sad part of it is it was a tooth that was broken a few weeks ago, more than that now, I guess, and she finally had it fixed by the dentist, and the same one broke again today. I didn't mean to hit her so hard when we were... <laughs> was, but, no, she was eating. Pardon? It was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, it was an accident. Oh, my goodness. No, she... Uh, she, we were eating lunch, and all of a sudden she said, I can't believe it, I broke that same tooth. And it really kind of put a damper on the entire day for her, and I, I felt really bad about that. And uh, So I appreciate your prayers for her. She has to call the dentist in the morning, and I told her, I said, they should fix it free of charge. I mean, it's the same, they, they just, well, we'll find out. <laughs> if you open your Bibles to John chapter 7, that's where we're going to start. This is going to be a greater sword drill than this morning's was, I do believe. We're going to be all over the Bible before we're done. And this is kind of a fun message that I put together several years ago um, when I was preaching a series of God's precise proclamations. And this is one of those proclamations that uh, comes to pass, obviously, as the Lord did promise. I'm going to look at starting at verse 31 through verse 44. Verse 31, John chapter 7. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles, and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come? In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, This is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh from the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Hang on to the thoughts of that particular conversation that Jesus had with those people and those events and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the second chapter of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. This came from a series of messages that I was doing regarding the accuracy and the reliability of the Word of God. 
We had studied a few of God's promises and had seen that those that could have been by now have been kept to the letter. We also therefore conclude logically that those promises that God has made that cannot yet have been kept will be, and they also will be kept to the letter. We have also looked at some prophecy, both that which could have been fulfilled and that which could not yet have been fulfilled and have reached the same unavoidable conclusion. It is the word of God. It is going to happen. God's prophetic word is absolutely rock solid and it will be kept to the letter. In the message that I preached just before this one, oh my, the notes are stuck. Now what do we do? We go back to the beginning? It won't let me do that. These are mar marvelous things. If I don't have my notes, I'm really, I'm really done. So, come on. <laughs> okay, we'll shut the whole thing down, hopefully, and Very embarrassing. What would you like to talk about tonight? Because I don't have this memorized. By, oh, there it is. Okay, it came all back. Let's hope that it will move. Yes, it does. Okay. Uh, in the last message, just before this one, we briefly studied the covenant that God had established with Abraham and his descendants. That covenant has been kept to this point as much as it can be, and it will be fully kept just as the Lord had promised. His word is solid. We sort of referenced that this morning in the message I preached today. But this evening we see where historic events and God's prophetic word work together, proving that God is in control of world history and also again proving that his word is rock solid. Um, I have times when I'm reading the scriptures and I've read a passage of scripture numerous times before and all of a sudden something leaps off the page. It's just, why didn't I see that before? Why didn't I understand that before? And I'm sure anybody who reads their Bible on a regular basis does the same thing. I think the year before I preached this, I preached a message about how God had hidden the birth of Jesus from Satan, even though it's all in the Bible. Satan was looking in the wrong places. If you're looking for the newborn king, where do you go? You go to the king's house. Where do the wise men go? They went to the king's house. They didn't go to where Jesus was born. So tonight, we are going to see that the birthplace of the Messiah was clearly evident in Scripture, but was still missed by so many people. And the fact that he had indeed come out of Bethlehem and not Nazareth is not where he was born. Bethlehem of Judea is the city of David. Its name, however, means house of bread. Let's ask God to bless our time together. Father, I thank you so much for the uh, opportunity just to share your word tonight and to just uh, be excited about the fact that uh, your word is accurate and true and we can count on it and depend on it. I would pray, Father, you'd use this time together to just stir all of our hearts to worship you in a proper way. And we will give you all the praise and glory and honor that comes with that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke 2 is probably the most famous passage describing the birth of Jesus, the Lord's birth. And in the book of Luke, we see and we hear very familiar words. Verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. 
And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed, with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We know that passage by heart from reading it. When I was a, a high school kid, I worked for a drugstore in the neighborhood there. And there was a gentleman who was a milkman who worked part-time with us. And he was a Christian guy. And he started quoting that passage of scripture. And he said to me, you know that passage, don't you? And I said, no, no. I was born and raised a Roman Catholic. We didn't know the scriptures. We weren't taught the scriptures. I didn't know it. Now I know it so well that I read it every Christmas to my family. And one year we were down at our daughter's for our Christmas and uh, I didn't have my Bible with me. And there was a dictionary on the table next to my wife. I said, hand me that dictionary. So she handed me the dictionary and I turned in the dictionary to the back where a bunch of stuff is and I read this passage. And she, I got done, she said, I didn't know that that was in the dictionary. I said, well, it's not, <laughs> but I've got it here and I can read it now word for word for 20 verses. The other place in the Bible where the birth of Jesus is given is Matthew chapter two. Go over there. I should have told you before I started all of this that when I was pastoring, when I got to the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we would sing one Christmas hymn in our service and maybe have a message that would lean toward Christmas, although it was not definitely about the birth of Jesus. But this one sort of plays into that. From a worldly sense, if one were to look for the newborn king of Israel, one would go to the home of the present king. He lived in Jerusalem. So Matthew chapter two says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. That should be enough to convince you that the wise men did not follow a star from where they came to Israel. The star would never have led them to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem because they were looking for the newborn king. Please note that they saw the star in the east. They were from the east. If they had gone toward the star, they'd have gone in the wrong direction. They had to go west to go to Jerusalem, and so they did. Anyway, verse 3, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. We all know what happened. 
Herod sent the wise men off to Jerusalem. They then saw the star reappeared to them. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why? They hadn't seen the star in two years. Now they see it. It leads them to Bethlehem and stops over the house in which the child was and his mother. And he was about two years of age at that time, bringing their gifts. How many wise men were there? We don't know. At least two, because it says wise men. I'll tell you a story about your former pastor, Clagert Mitchell. When he and I were on the same staff at uh, Anson, we would have lunch every week. And I, when he was working for his dad at the diamond shop, I would go and eat there, bring lunch in, and we would eat. And one day he said to me, have you ever seen the movie The Fourth Wise Man? And I said, The Fourth Wise Man? He said, yeah, it's not a true story. I said, well, I know it's not true, that's for sure. I said, how many wise men were there? He said, three. I said, really? He said, yeah, the Bible says it. I said, it does? Show me, I gotta see this, I'll preach it on Sunday. So he goes to get his Bible, he comes back. I said, it's Matthew chapter two, by the way. And he's reading and he said, it doesn't say three. I said, no, it just says wise men. Could have been 10 of them, we don't know. The whole city of Jerusalem was stirred up when they got there. So it could have been a whole bunch. Anyway, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, loved Rachel, his wife, with the deepest of loves. And she died giving birth to Israel's youngest son. Turn, please, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. We know that Herod sent the wise men to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem. Uh, they found the baby. They presented, not baby, small child, and they uh, presented the gifts. And then they were notified in a dream not to go back to Herod and tell him where the child was. So they left by a different route and they went back to their lands. Herod, of course, angered at all of that, sent the soldiers into Bethlehem and that area and killed all of the children two years of age and younger, two years of age and younger, based on the time that the wise men told him that they had seen the star. And then, of course, Herod died. And I like to imagine that he died from a heart attack when the soldiers came back and said, the deed is done. All the children are dead. And I hope he just fell over at that moment. But we don't know. We're not told exactly how it happened. Anyway, Jacob loved Rachel. You know the story. Rachel was the one he wanted to marry, but the father slipped Leah into the tent instead, and he married the wrong girl. And so he had to work for seven years to earn Rachel also. And then when the children started coming, Rachel didn't have any for a long, long time. But she finally gave birth to the last two. Genesis chapter 35, verse 16 to 20. I was there just a moment ago. Says this. And they journeyed from Bethel. Bethel, the name of your church. Anytime you see Beth in a name, it means house of. Bethel. House of God, Bethel Bible Church, House of God Bible Church. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is 
Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave, unto this day. Benoni, the name that Rachel gave her son, means son of my sorrow. Benjamin means son of the right hand. We know that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, loved those two sons that Rachel gave him, Joseph and Benjamin, more than any others. And he had a special relationship with them. Just turn over a few pages to the right to chapter 48. Rachel, who was barren for a long time, gave birth to those two youngest sons of Jacob. Rachel was the woman who had captured Jacob's heart and became the mother of the two boys who would be the favorites of Israel. So Jacob, Israel, buried the love of his life in the way to a place called Ephrath, which is Bethlehem, house of bread. When Israel was dying, after he and his son Joseph were reunited after so many years, Jacob recounted the events of his life to his son, including the death of his beloved mother, his beloved wife, Joseph's mother. Verse 7 says it all. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way when there was yet but a little way to come unto Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same is Bethlehem. Ephrath is the area, Bethlehem is the city, and that is where Rachel died and where she was buried. Bethlehem means house of bread. It also means, uh, rather Ephrath means cornland, or land of fertility, or the fertile land. It reminds me of where we live, in the Midwestern part of the United States, where the breadbasket of the world. We have fertile land here, it's cornland. It's an area where you see all kinds of crops being grown all the time. Ephrath, or Ephratah, was the region in which the city of Bethlehem was situated. From the time that it was introduced in scripture, this was a significant city to God's chosen people. Though from a worldly view, it was insignificant. It was just a small town out of the way and meant nothing. In the lineage of Jesus, there are two Gentile women who are very prominent, Rahab of Jericho and Ruth, a Moabite woman. Turn in your Bibles to Ruth now, chapter 1. The book of Ruth, chapter 1. I love the book of Ruth. I think it's the greatest story in the Bible. That and Esther, the two books that are named for women, are just phenomenal to read. And I love reading them over and over again. Ruth is a book named for her. It tells a magnificent story. It starts this way in chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, there's Bethlehem, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Moab, of course, is named after one of the sons of Lot, who was born to one of his daughters after they had cohabited. He was drunk, supposedly, and did not know what was going on, but he had these two children in a very immoral relationship with his daughters, and Moab was one of them. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, 
and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Interesting that they add Judah there, Bethlehem, Judah. You'll see why it's important in a moment. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So she is left with her two daughters-in-law at that point. And, of course, they had no husbands. They had no children. And so Ruth decides she's going to go back to home. She's going to leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem, where she came from. And she tells the two women, you go on back to your people. Orpah says, okay, I'm going to go back to my own people. Did you know that Orpah was supposed to be Oprah's name? Her mother misspelled it when she was born, and her name became Orpah. Can you imagine naming your child after the woman who did not go with the living God and went after false gods? Might explain a little something about why Oprah does what she does, huh? Ruth, however, said, no, I'm going to go where you go. Where you live, I'm going to live. I'm going to die where you die. I'm going to go back with you. So at verse 19, it says, So they too, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? She'd been gone for several years, probably looked a little bit older at that point. And is this Naomi? And yes, it was. In verse, uh, rather, um, in Ruth, we meet the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer is somebody who can redeem a family if the man dies in the family. And Boaz, of course, was that man. Boaz uh, met Ruth. He provided for her. He let her take food out of his field. Uh, he provided for her in different ways. He was smitten, okay? He saw this girl, man, ooh, oh, I, I got to meet this girl. Got to get to know who this girl is. He just, he's, he's flipping out over the girl. And uh, finally, uh, he talks to Naomi, and Naomi explains things to him and to Ruth, and he is a possible kinsman redeemer, except there is one man between him and Naomi who should be the first kinsman redeemer. However, that man is never named. In chapter 4 of Ruth, Boaz comes to redeem Ruth. He meets with the people at the gate. He meets that man, tells him there is a lady that you can redeem if you will be the kinsman redeemer. And he said, I can't do it without losing my own inheritance. And so Boaz says, I will be that kinsman redeemer. And so he marries Ruth. Verse 9 of chapter 4. Verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. 
And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David, King David. Wow. You understand that Jesus is the kinsman redeemer for the entire human race. He is the redeemer that was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. Has to be one of us. Has to be a human being who can redeem us. And he has to sacrifice himself with pure, sin-free blood. That's all that God will accept. So Jesus, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, comes out and he fulfills all of those prophecies, dies on the cross, and provides what we need to be redeemed so that we can go to heaven and be with him. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer for the entire race. Ruth found her kinsman redeemer in the house of bread in Bethlehem. Turn in your Bibles now to 1 Samuel. It's right there. You're probably right there. It's right in front of you. Just go over to chapter 16. <clears throat> Samuel is the last judge of Israel. He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was instructed by God to anoint the first two kings of Israel, Saul and then David. And after Saul had failed and God had rejected him, we read in chapter 16, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And we know what happens. Samuel goes there and has all these boys in the house line up. And he looks at all of them as they go by. Nope, 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 nope. They're not the one. And he finally says to Jesse, he says, do you have another son? He said, well, yeah, but he's just a shepherd. He's out there. Get him. Bring him in here. We got to find out. So David comes in. He's the one. And he is anointed king over Israel. He was born and he was raised in the house of bread in Bethlehem. Turn to Micah now. Micah chapter 5. That's a little harder to find. I'll give you a few minutes. I'd love to hear those pages flipping. Micah chapter 5. David was that man who became Israel's first great king and 
who was promised to have a son occupy his throne forever. And that son is Jesus. Because of David's fame, Bethlehem became known as the city of David. When the wise men came to Herod seeking the newborn king, which we read a few moments ago, the chief priests and scribes were led to refer to this scripture, Micah, that we're going to look at when Herod inquired about where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 2 of chapter 5. They quoted this verse. They said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. However, the chief priests and the scribes, you may remember, said, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, not Bethlehem Ephrathah. He didn't say that. Why not? In verse 2 here it says, um, among the, uh, For unto thee, let's read the whole verse, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from, uh, from everlasting. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring the scriptures. It's okay. Ephrathah is the area where Bethlehem was located but it's also the province of Judea in Israel as well, where we get the term Jew. Why Bethlehem Ephratah? Why not simply Bethlehem? Here is where God's precise uh, proclamations really come in. Why did he say Bethlehem Ephratah? When Joshua distributed the land to the Israelites as they came into the promised land, at the conquest of Canaan was underway, one of the cities that was deeded to the tribe of Zebulun was a city named Bethlehem. It's like, you find that in Joshua chapter 19, verse 15, if you want to look it up later. Joshua 19, 15. If you take a careful study of the geographic description, it shows that that city of Bethlehem is located northwest of the location of Nazareth. If you have some Bible, uh, rather maps in the back of your Bible, you may find it on one of them. Early settlements in that land will show a second city of Bethlehem. It's up by Mount Carmel, right next to Mount Carmel in the northwest part of the country. Bethlehem, Judea is in the southern part of the country, right near Jerusalem. And there were two Bethlehems in Israel for a while. And at the time of Micah, Bethlehem, the one near Mount uh, Carmel, was the most famous. It was well known. It was a big city. It was prosperous. Little old Bethlehem down by Jerusalem was absolutely unknown. It was not a big city. It was a little, a little town that didn't mean very much at all. That Bethlehem, the one that uh, they gave to Zebulun, became a prominent city and was so at the time of Micah's prophecy. So Micah was inspired to target the little, seemingly insignificant city of Bethlehem Ephratah, the house of bread in the middle of the corn land, or the fertile land, which was the city of David. We started there. Let's go to John 7 right now, where we started. John chapter 7. O little town of Bethlehem, so insignificant, 
except it was there that Israel buried the love of his life. Rachel was buried there. It was there that Ruth, the great-grandmother of Israel's great king, found her kinsman redeemer. It was there that Samuel anointed King David, whose fame caused the town to become known as the city of David. And it was there that the kinsman redeemer of the entire human race would be born in the house of bread. The Jews knew it was supposed to happen. The chief priests and scribes answered Herod immediately when he inquired. They did not have to go and look up the scripture. They told him what it was. They knew it by heart. And when the Jews of Jesus' day were resisting him, they spoke so foolishly. Look at verse 40 again. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this, this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Yeah. But they knew if they had followed what the history was, they would have known that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They didn't know that. In his public ministry, Jesus spoke words that were, still are, hard for people to grasp and hang on to. Go back one chapter to chapter 6. Born in the house of bread, our Lord declared to the world in verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The bread of life, Jesus, the kinsman redeemer, born in the city of David, the bread of life born in the house of bread has the key to eternal life. Bethlehem, Ephratah, the house of bread. Go just a few pages to the right to chapter 12. The house of bread in the fertile land, the corn land, birthplace of the bread of life, the kinsman redeemer, the one who has the key to eternal life. In John chapter 12, look please at verse 24, Jesus' words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus would die. He would die on the cross. He would be buried, dead and gone. Most people thought that was the end of it, all over. But three days later, he comes forth from the grave and he brings forth all this fruit. If you're saved tonight, you are part of the fruit that has grown from the bread of life, the kinsman redeemer that came from that city of David, the birthplace, the bread of life, the house of bread in the cornland. God's proclamations are absolutely precise. The prophecy pinpointed Bethlehem Ephratah, not simply Bethlehem. It distinguished between the two cities that were in existence at that time. And God's control of world history is just as absolutely evident Rachel died at Bethlehem. 
If she had died one day earlier, they wouldn't have been in Bethlehem. If she had lived one day longer, they would no longer have been at Bethlehem. But they were at Bethlehem when she died. And God's control of world history is just as evident today. Naomi came from, and with Ruth returned to, Bethlehem, who then found her kinsman redeemer and became the great-grandmother of David in the lineage of the kinsman redeemer who would be born in the city of David, the house of bread. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Bethlehem, the house of bread. And the God who can control all of that, including the bringing together of Joseph and Mary in Nazareth, that's where they met, that's where they were living, and still fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, certainly has the power to know exactly where each of us are in relation to him and our spiritual standing before him. He knows where you are. He knows where you are. And he loves you. And he loves everybody that you know. And you all know people who are not ready. And our mission is to get them ready. And our time is very short. Merry Christmas. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word tonight and to just have a fun study, looking at things that are historically there for us to read and know and to be reminded of their significance. I thank you for all the folks who are gathered here tonight, and I ask you to bless each and every one of them in a special way. And again, I ask you to bless this church and allow its impact to be great in this community and many souls coming to know Jesus as a result of how you use it. And I thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that I've enjoyed this day with them. And I say all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.